0: Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 5. I had the 5 right, just twisted around. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 5. You know, adoption is a wonderful thing. Any of you been adopted? Anybody in here been adopted? Okay. All right. Adoption is great because it provides a family for a child that has no parents to care. Sometimes they don't have any parents at all. Other times the parents didn't want them for one reason or another. But now the child gets a home, and it's quite a process. I've got four cousins that are adopted, and a major process, and pretty expensive too, unfortunately, uh, to adopt a child. So it's quite a a, an effort there, and no child gets adopted without some sincere effort behind it on, on the part of the parent. And as we look here in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 5, we see here God talks about spiritual adoption. He says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of His will. Here Paul says that God has adopted us as His children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to His good pleasure Of his will. God wanted that to be done. And God did that for us. As we look at this topic of spiritual adoption this morning, I want to break it down into four sections that I think can help us better understand it. First of all, we're going to look at the plan for adoption. The plan for adoption. Here in this verse, it tells us a little bit of God's plan for that spiritual adoption. The plan starts out with predestination. Now, predestination is a word that has confused a lot of Christians because they put it in connection with our salvation. I don't think the Scriptures does that. Here, he clearly says, having predestinated us unto adoption. In eternity past, God said, I want believers in Jesus Christ, my son, to be adopted into my family. I want to bring them back into sweet fellowship with me. I want them to be part of my family. And so God devised this plan that we might be able to have that intimate relationship with him. Now, God had a sweet intimate relationship with Adam and Eve until they fell. They walked and talked with him in the garden. They were able to commune with God. They were able to have that sweet fellowship with God that God designed humans for. But as soon as they fell into sin, that was shattered and, it, and it, it was no longer available, and so God in his infinite knowledge devised this plan to be able to bring repentant sinners back into that sweet fellowship with him once again, and be adopted into his family, and he, the idea of the word predestinate, pre means before, destinate means to determine something, so the idea here is that it's a a, to determine or to decree something before it happens. So God has decreed before it happened that all who would put their faith and trust in Christ would be part of his adopted family. That's a wonderful truth. And as we think about this, in eternity past, God did that. You know, trying to figure out the mind of God will, will kind of mess up your mind. It doesn't work. We cannot comprehend God. God, in eternity past, knew that he was going to create Adam and Eve, and he knew that he was going to give Adam and Eve a free will to choose to obey or rebel, because he didn't want robots, and he knew that they would choose wrong. And because he knew they would choose wrong, he devised this plan of salvation so that man would be able to have an opportunity to be forgiven, brought into fellowship with God again, and adopted back into God's family. Wonderful plan. But God devised all that in eternity past. And this plan of God brought him good pleasure. See that in the end of verse 5 there. He says, According to the good pleasure of God's will, the intent of God's predetermined Plan here was to bring believers into his closeness for his good pleasure. God delights in us being close to him. Now, stop and think about that. God delights in having you close to him. That's amazing. I mean, you look in your own life, you know as well as I do, I know my heart, I don't know yours, but I know my heart, and I think, why would God want to be close to me? But God loves me. And God loves you. And He wants us close to Him. That is a wonderful truth. And adopting believers into His family brings pleasure to the Lord. And it gives Him satisfaction and delight. But it also brings pleasure to those who are adopted. It brings pleasure to those who are adopted into his family because they didn't have a family before. We were children of the devil. We were headed for hell. We were far from God. But he adopted us into his family when we put our faith and trust in Christ. And now we have a family. We have a home. We have a father. We have one who loves us and cares for us. And that is absolutely amazing. Secondly, I want us to notice the purchase of that adoption. Turn with me now to Galatians chapter 4. Just back a couple of pages. In my Bible, it's just one page. Each one of these sections, I'm going to look at a different verse that approaches it from a different aspect. And here in Galatians chapter 4, look at verses 4 to 7. Verse number 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Lots in that passage. God, in His perfect timing, sent Christ to this earth. Have you ever wondered why? If Adam and Eve sinned nearly 6,000 years ago, why did God wait 4,000 years before he sent Christ? I don't have an answer for that. But it was in God's perfect time. In my thinking, I'm thinking, God, why wait so long? But God had a plan. God knew exactly what he was doing. And God had a purpose in all of that. And one day when we get to glory, we can talk to him about it and say, Lord, tell me about that. Why did you wait 4,000 years? And he'll explain it to us. But God had a perfect plan. So it says here that when the fullness of time was come, the fullness of time, it had been complete. It was ready. It's time for him to deal with this. And he sent forth his son, made of a woman. He became the God-man. Made under the law, that means he was Born a Jew under the Jewish law, he, be, uh, he came to earth to redeem sinners. And he, through his redemption, we then can receive the adoption of sons and be brought into God's family. Did you see the word might there? Look at that little word, word might. It's not a very big word. Verse number five to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive adoption of sons. When you see the word might in the Bible many times, maybe not all the time, but most of the time, it reflects a grammatical construction that is subjunctive. Subjunctive means it's a possibility if the conditions are met. And God says here, To redeem them that are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons is conditional on you and I receiving what he did for us. If we don't receive Christ as our Savior, we will not be adopted into his family. There may be some sitting here this morning who have never received Jesus as your Savior. You're not part of God's family. You're still a child of the devil. But once we receive what Christ did for us, then the conditions are met and He adopts us into His family. We're part of God's family. That's wonderful, wonderful truth. Christ died on the cross for everyone. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6 tells us that very clearly, we'll have, that he, he died for all people. However, only those who repent and believe can be, receive His salvation and His adoption. Now, believers have a new relationship with God. Believers now have the Spirit of God's Son, the Holy Spirit, in their hearts. We see it in verse number 6. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's interesting here. He says that having the Spirit of God living in us enables us as believers, to have a close, intimate fellowship with God. He says we can call him Abba, Father. There's a lot of uncertainty about that little term Abba, but it is an Aramaic term. Most of the New Testament, well, virtually all the New Testament was written in Greek. But this was an Aramaic term. And it, it was a term that referred to a fondness, a closeness. And we'll see that in the definition I'm going to give you just a moment here. It seems to express a sort of affectionate fondness, as one commentator stated. And the claim that it parallels the word daddy is a possibility. I don't know that that's an absolute, but it is a possibility. You know, when we think of daddy as a, you know, when you refer refer to your father as daddy, that's, that's not something the neighbors call him. That's something you call him because you're close to him. That's a close, intimate relationship. Another commentator put it this way. He says, this term denotes childlike intimacy and trust, not disrespect. So to call God Abba is not a disrespectful thing. It's close, intimate trust. It undoubtedly, he continues it undoubtedly expresses the new relationship with God proclaimed and lived out by Jesus and then experienced by believers in Him. So as a believer in Christ, we have a close relationship with the Father and we are now able to refer to Him as our Abba Father, that close, intimate relationship that brings us near to God. Being a child of God, We become an heir of God through Christ. We'll look more at this in just a moment, but let's just read that verse number 7. He says, Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. What's an heir? An heir is someone who inherits something that you have. Generally, it takes place after a death. Someone dies, and then all that they have is passed on to their heirs those who they've designated to be the ones that receive what they have. And God says that we are heirs of him. So we've looked here at the the plan of adoption. We've looked at the purchase of adoption. Now let's look at the process of adoption. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we're going to be in verse number 23. Romans chapter 8 and look at verse number 23. Romans chapter 8, verse number 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Now, this seems a bit unusual. He says, we're waiting for the adoption. Now, I, 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 I thought... Paul just told us in Ephesians that we are adopted into God's family. Well, that's true. But he's going to explain something here for us. We become children of God at salvation. John chapter one, verse twelve and thirteen says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of man, but of God. He says, we're brought into God's family. We become his child the moment we trust Christ as our Savior. It is true that we become that children of God at salvation. However, though God's uh, children, we do not yet live with him. And this limits our privileges of us as a son. Now, yes, it is true. God's everywhere, and I'm not denying that. But we're not actually in heaven living with him, walking and talking with God in the streets of heaven. We're not there yet. We are his children, but we haven't gone home yet. And so when he tells us here in our text here in Romans 8.23, he's describing the completion of our adoption that we are waiting for. Again, verse 23 at the end, he, he says that even ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, waiting for the adoption. So he's waiting for what? Well, he tells us what it is to wit, he says. In other words, the redemption of our body, the redemption of our body. All right? right now, we've been redeemed, but not completely redeemed because we're still here. When we go to heaven, he'll redeem us completely and take us to himself, no longer subject to sin anymore. That'll be wonderful. The redemption will be complete. The adoption will also be complete at that time. All right, he has adopted us. We're God's children, but we're still here instead of up there. So one day, he's going to take us up to glory with him. We're going to be brought into his presence. And when we are, we will be, our adoption will be complete. Our redemption will be complete. We see another reference to this over in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Let me just read that. It tells us that the Spirit of God is living in us. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 13 says, In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance Notice this, until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. He says we're redeemed, we're saved, but he says this, the Spirit of God lives in us until the purchase, the, until he takes us to glory, is what he says. Until he takes us to heaven to be with him, and we're redeemed and taken to glory. We, the Spirit of God lives in us as God's down payment of all that's coming ahead. Wonderful truth there. So, as we look at this, uh, every true believer then has the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. You know, that's an important thing to remember. There's those among the charismatics that will teach and say that uh, you've been saved, that's good. Have you got the Spirit yet? What do you say? Say... Just tell him to read Romans 8, 9. It says there in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9, it explains that. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9, he says, For I was in the wrong chapter. 8 and chapter 8, 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, what are those next four words? He is none of his. One, two, three, five words, sorry. All right, so God says if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not a child of God. So the moment you got saved, you got the Spirit of God living in you. Now, you got all the Spirit of God that you're ever going to get, but he doesn't always have all of you that he wants. <laughs> all right. He's all there. He, he, we don't get him in little pieces. We get the whole Spirit of God, but he doesn't have control of everything in our lives a lot of times. That's why it tells us to walk in the Spirit, to yield to the Spirit, to humble ourselves, because we are the ones that are holding back, not God. We're holding back. We're saying, "But I want to do it my way." And the Spirit says, "Well, I can't lead you unless you let me do it. You've got to let me lead you." And so, we have the Spirit of God living in us, and that's important. And He says here that back in our text, He says that it is the first fruits of. Our salvation. Now, what is the first fruit? Well, if you grow a garden, let's just say you you grow a tomato plant. All right, you plant it in the ground. You get the little thing coming up, and it's growing, and providing you give it water and fertilizer and all the stuff that it needs, and keep it out of the bright sun and all that. Kind of, there's all kinds of things that can hinder it. All right, but eventually it gets a little flowers on it, and you see little tiny little. Balls are forming, and before long, here they come. They're starting to turn red, and they're almost red, and they turn red. And, whoo, and you take the first one off. That's the first fruits, your first picking. And God says that, that having the Spirit of God living in us and having this re- new relationship with Him is the first fruits of all that's coming yet. There's lots more to come. First fruits were just an indication that it's just getting started. There's lots more to come. And so we can rejoice in that. When Christ returns to take us to heaven, our adoption will be complete and we will be able to enjoy the pleasure of being in God's presence and part of His family for all eternity. Now folks, that's an important thing. That's exciting. It ought to bring joy to our hearts to think that I'm part of God's family. I was a child of the devil. Just this morning as I was having my Bible time and praying and reading, and thought came to my mind and I, I just talked to the Lord about it for a bit. And I thought, you know, I would be greatly benefited in my Christian walk if I had a better glimpse of the hell that God saved me from. So many times, I don't think we realize the depths and the agony and the endurance of hell. I mean, if you know someone who's gone to prison, maybe they get sentenced to prison for five years. You think, oh, that's a long time. Five years of your life, just gone. That's sad. Many times, you know, it's not a very nice place a lot of times in prison. I mean, that's what it's for there. You know, But a lot of times people get in more trouble when they get there than they do before because they got all these other criminals there to teach them how to be bad. But, you know, it's, it's not a good place. But can you imagine being sentenced not to five years, not to 50 years, not to 500 years, but for eternity separated from God Never, ever to escape. Never, ever to enjoy heaven. Never, ever to be happy again. Never to have anything that would be nice or good or pleasant or, or enjoyable ever, ever again. That is, that ought to just tear us up inside. And to think that that's where I was headed. But Jesus rescued me. He paid the debt for me. He bought me back, set me free, delivered me, and then made me his child. That is amazing. We ought to rejoice and say praise God for the adoption of believers. What a blessing to be part of God's family. That brings us to our last point, the privilege of adoption kind of bled over into this a little bit as I've been talking here, but in Romans chapter eight, now look at verse number fifteen. Romans chapter eight and verse number fifteen. Verse fifteen says, For ye have not received the spirit of for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and of children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Several things I want us to see here. First of all, we have the Spirit of God as our down payment. We saw that already. He is our down payment. And his presence in us allows us to call the Father Abba. Have that close relationship. We saw that also. The indwelling Holy Spirit bears with our human spirit that we are the children of God. Now, what does that mean, to bear with? It means to testify. He is, it's like a testimony in court. The Spirit of God says, I am living in His life because He has been redeemed. He's a child of God. He bears witness with our spirit. So deep down inside, that spirit of us, our fleshly spirit, and it starts to say, I don't know, maybe I'm not really a Christian. Maybe I haven't really been saved. And the Spirit of God, if he lives in us, the Spirit of God says, I am living in you, I am convicting you, I am helping you, I am guiding you, because I am living in you, you can know for sure you are a child of God. He bears witness with our spirit that we are a child of God. That's why I mentioned a few weeks ago, the blessing it is to have the Spirit of God convict us when we sin. That is an absolute blessing because when He convicts us of our sin, it's evidence, it's His testimony, it's His witness that I'm God's child. When we think about this, if there's not that witness in your heart... If the Spirit of God does not convict and guide and produce fruit in your life. These are all evidences that you're not a child of God. Becoming a child of God is not just signing on the dotted line or saying a little prayer. It's a transformation that takes place in the heart. When a person is convicted of their sin and they humble themselves before God and they repent of their sin and cry out to God and say, God, I am a sinner. I am guilty. I deserve to go to hell, but God, Jesus paid the debt for me and I sure want him to apply that to my life. Would you please forgive me and wash me clean? And God does. Brings us into his family, adopts us into his, his, as his child, and we become part of God's family. As God's adopted children... He says that we are heirs. I mentioned we would talk about this some more. Think about this. You know, I, I did a little bit of research. There's probably some debate on this, but we'll trust the web for this time. According to the web, one website, Elon Musk, with $251.3 billion, is the most wealthy man in the world. Now, if you were his heir, you would have a lot coming to you. You would be rich to be his heir. And yet you stop and think about that. Musk's billions are not even equal to one drop of water in the oceans of God's abundance. God doesn't have billions. God doesn't worry about billions and trillions and all the other things that you want to call that. God's got it all. It's all God's. All that ever has been created. All that ever could be out there. God has got it all. He is the owner of all of it. That's why we sing that little song, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. He's, he owns it all. In that same passage there in Psalm that that song comes from, the Lord says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you for food. I own it all. If I needed something, I wouldn't ask you. It's all mine. And then, with that in mind, God says that we, as His children, are now heirs of God. (laughs) We're heirs of God. An heir is one that's going to inherit part of what He has. That means you, if you know Jesus is your Savior, are heir to the un fathomless abundance that God has in glory. We're part of that. Why would God do that for us? I deserved hell. God saved me from hell, made me His child, and then said, all that belongs to me belongs to you. I thought, that is unbelievable. God is so gracious. God is so good to us. He's the creator of all that exists, the owner of everything. And he offers to share it all with me. Just because I repented and trusted Christ as my Savior. Amazing. Amazing grace. It's no wonder when the songwriter wrote that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He had been a vile, wicked man. God saved his soul and he saw that in his amazing grace. You know, our world sings that song. You hear that song at funerals and various things and I think, if they only knew what they were singing, they don't understand what they're singing. But as a believer, and you know, when you sing that song, Amazing Grace, you think about the words of that song, it's amazing, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and made me a child of God. Gave me a home in heaven. It allowed me to be heir with God. Unbelievable. It's amazing. It's amazing. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 7 said there, we read that earlier, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and of a son than an heir of God through Christ. John tells us in Revelation 21 verse 7, he says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. We're going to be heirs with God. But I did some pondering on the end of verse number 17 in Romans 8. It's always been a bit of a mystery to me. He says there in verse 17, And if if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, notice this last phrase, If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Now he's not saying there, if you don't suffer, you're not going to heaven. We know that's not true because suffering, personal suffering, isn't part of our salvation. But as I pondered over that and I looked up some information on that and did some studying into that, he's talking here about glorification. Glorification refers to recognition, honor, and praise. And God says that if we suffer with Christ like Christ suffered for us, he said there's going to be a special glorification, a special honor, a special time of rejoicing and praise. God's going to lift up those who are martyrs as the heroes of heaven. I think that's one of the reasons why you see there in Hebrews chapter 11, there's a list of the heroes of the faith. Many of them lost their lives for Christ. And God says they're going to be lifted up as un- and honored. And I believe that down through history, you know, when we get to heaven for all eternity, there'll be some that'll have greater honor. Not because they were better people, necessarily, but because they suffered for Christ. And, you know, we, we, we shy away from that. You know, when we think about suffering, like, where's the detour? I want to go around the suffering. We don't like the suffering, but and and I know our sicknesses and things like that. We don't like that either. It's not necessarily for the cause of Christ because, you know, we're we're just human beings and it's part of this old wicked old world. But if we suffer for Christ, you know, if somebody calls you names because of your faith in Christ, if someone mocks you, if someone rejects you, if someone hates you, if you lose your job because of your testimony, your faith in Christ, or because you say, no, I'm not going to do that, that's not right, and it's your faith in Christ that does that, you suffer for Christ. God says there's going to be a reward for that. God says there's an honor for that, a praise for that. Why? Because God delights in, in sharing the glories of heaven with those who suffer with him. Now, I don't think that, as I've studied the verse over, I don't think he's linking all of our inheritance to suffering, because that wouldn't make sense in other passages. But there must be a special inheritance of glorification and honor for those who suffer for Christ. Paul was writing to Christians in that first century that were struggling. Some were facing persecution, even death for the cause of Christ. We don't face much of that in our free nation. may come, but there's others in our world that are facing it. North Korea, China, Russia, Muslim countries, many believers are suffering to the death For Jesus Christ even today. And God tells us we need to pray for them. Say, Pastor, I don't know who they are. Well, that doesn't matter. Just pray for those who are suffering. Pray that God would give them grace. Because it's not an easy thing, but God says if we suffer for Him, there's going to be a special praise and honor and glory for those who do. If you truly know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and through faith in Jesus Christ, you've put your trust in Him, God's adopted you into his family. You're not a child of the devil anymore. He rescued you from the devil brought you into his family. You're his child. We've seen this morning the plan of, for God's plan for adoption, the purchase of adoption, the process of adoption, and the privilege of adoption. We are privileged people. Being a child of God is an amazing privilege why would god give us all that it was enough just to keep us out of hell but not only did he take us out of hell but he gave us a wonderful home in heaven and made us his children and then gave us all the inheritance of his glory in heaven at our disposal amazing amazing love we have a great and a wonderful god As we think about that this morning, whether your family in this life was rich or poor, happy or sad, well known or unknown, Christians or unbelievers, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're now a child of the King. God Almighty the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, the Sovereign of the Universe, is your Father. You're part of His family. One day He's going to welcome you into glory. And you'll be able to come close to Him in fellowship with God because of your faith in Jesus Christ. We need to ask ourselves, are we living a life that is clean and pure and godly, that honors our Father in Heaven, the King of kings, the Lord of lords? Are there things in your life that if He was to come back this afternoon, He would find that put Him to shame? If there is, He's told us what to do about it. He says, confess it and forsake it. Get it out of your life. Let me take control. I've given you the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit take control and guide you. He'll lead you right. He'll help you. He'll show you the way. He's given us all the provisions so that we can do what's right. And He asks us to yield to Him and let Him have His way. It takes humility and surrender. But we can do it with God's help. He'll help us to do what's right. Sadly, I would be an heir to assume that all of us know Christ. I'd like to think that was true, but I can't guarantee that. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're not a child of God. You're a child of the devil. You don't have a home in heaven. You've got a home in hell. You're not heir to the glories of God in eternity. You have no inheritance besides the fires of hell. That's not what God wants. He offers you eternal life. He offers you forgiveness and cleansing. He offers you a home in heaven. But you have to receive it. If you've never done that, please do it today. God welcomes you and invites you to come to Him if you will do so. Do it today.